Hello and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Ewan Lawson and in this episode we talk to Dr Claire McRae and Claire is a GP at the Centre for Population Health Sciences at the Usher Institute of Population Health Sciences and Informatics in Edinburgh. And the paper we talk about is Comorbidity in Chronic Kidney Disease, a large cross-sectional study of prevalence in Scottish primary care. Uh, We also touch on another paper that Claire has been involved in recently about potentially inappropriate prescribing in CKD, and they're very much uh, linked uh, and relevant to each other. First of all, I asked Claire to tell us a little bit more about the background to CKD and why she got into this research. So I work clinically as a GP and chronic kidney disease is something that we come across on a daily basis and it's something that I think personally there's a lot of scope to do uh, to, to do better with. Um, so essentially CKD is affects around 8.7% of the worldwide population. The figures for prevalence vary but essentially it's around 1 in 10 of our, our patients are likely to have CKD so it's something that's that we will be coming to across on a daily basis. Um, so people with CKD and people with cardiovascular disease, we know that there are shared risk factors between the two. So diabetes and um, mellitus and hypertension are the most common causes of CKD, but also um, the risk factors between the two overlap. So it means that if you have CKD and cardiovascular disease, you're at risk of having a worse disease outcome. Uh, We also know there's a huge NHS spend associated with CKD. And in 2012, it was roughly £1.45 billion of the NHS England um, uh, spend. And a lot of that was associated with management of complications um, of uh, use of medications inappropriately, of admissions and tertiary care. So I think my main focus here is in GP, we come across a lot of people with CKD. We're kind of frontline in identifying people with CKD, but we're also frontline in making sure that we manage it well in terms of using medications safely, but also we need to be given appropriate guidance so that we're able to manage CKD in the context of um, people who often have uh, very multimorbid health profiles. Yeah, Um I think it'd be fair to say that CKD hasn't perhaps enjoyed the greatest profile with GPs in over the years. Would I think that'd be a fair comment, wouldn't it? And perhaps that's but those shared risk factors have influenced um, GPs who felt that actually it's what they're doing anyway. So in many ways, that's it mean, hasn't raised its profile quite so much. One of the things we definitely should ask you about in a minute is where the one of the big differences we can make is the prescribing of inappropriate medications and i know you've got some further research on that as well this study that specifically today was a little bit more about comorbidity and i wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what you did for this one so this study looked at a large population cohort so it was over a million patients in scotland so it gave us a good spread of of a of a kind of nat- nationally representative population and we wanted to look at the number of comorbidities affected and um, that people with CKD had because that gives us an idea about the different demands that somebody's put under the different disease um, the diseases that they have and the different types of treatment that they're going to need to experience um, need to be treated with so interestingly uh, th- this study was um, taken from a, the same data set as the Barnett paper that professors Bruce Guthrie and Stuart Mercer published back in 2012 where they 
characterize multimorbidity. So we looked at, they've looked at various different diseases using this data set. And interestingly, this of all the diseases that they have looked at was by far the most um, comorbid of all the conditions. So I think the top line really of this piece of research is that 98.2% of all the people with CKD had at least one comorbidity and were therefore multimorbid. That's a, that's a hugely significant finding. Um, so it means that really almost all the patients that we see and treat will have some other um, significant health condition that we need to bear in mind. And as clinicians, we need to be thinking about that in the context of managing other diseases that often require really quite different management um, protocols for example, heart heart disease, heart failure, uh, where you're treating with often kind of nephrotoxic medications. Um, so that's why I think this is particularly relevant. One of the ways that you looked at these comorbidities in this paper was um, what you called con- concordant and discordant um, conditions. And I wonder if you could just explain what you meant by that. So a concordant condition is one where you have a shared pathophysiology and or pharmacological treatments. So the source of the disease, the etiology is similar, but also the treatment is similar. But a non-concordant condition is where the pathophysiology is unrelated or where the treatments are different and contradictory and can often exacerbate CKD. And it's important to look at these two different categories because As you can imagine, managing discordant um, conditions in the context of CKD is more likely to lead to problems and difficult uh, decision-making processes and potentially acute drug, uh, adverse drug reactions in the context of CKD as well. So that's why it's important to look at the prevalence of these conditions. Uh, it's really interesting because that links to the, my original point that perhaps we just thought it was all the same risk factors as cardiovascular disease. And there would be the concordant conditions, wouldn't they? But what's remarkable about this study was how many comorbidities are discordant. The, the, the people with CKD are you who meet the definition of CKD, as you said there already, 98.2% have got more than one, um, uh, at least one comorbidity. Um, but yeah, a lot of them aren't related. So they're not, you know, CKD is a, as an additional finding. And as you, as you highlight there, you can start to get into difficulties with how you treat them. Actually, the medications you use for those discordant conditions could worsen the CKD. And that's when we get into this whole potentially inappropriate prescribing thing as well in particular, isn't it? And I know you've done a little bit more work on that. And I wondered if you could tell us some of the key findings from that. Yeah, so we did a follow-on study looking at a another population cohort. For, so this was from a regional cohort, um, essentially looking at roughly 600,000 adults um, within which uh, approximately 28,000 had CKD. And essentially, we wanted to look at the prevalence of potentially inappropriate prescribing. So it's a broad term because um, it's quite difficult to be clear about what's appropriate and what's inappropriate without very... Um, in-depth clinical um, information. But essentially, we wanted to look at all potential prescribings. We looked at the entire BNF and we harvested all of the drugs within the BNF that have a renal impairment warning. And then we tracked it as many of these as we could against prescribing um, practices that we could that we could access. And we found really across the board, there was a high prevalence of a prescription of um potentially inappropriate drugs uh, across all stages of CKD and across all ages, uh, which was which was an interesting finding. I think the two studies dovetail quite nicely and they kind of confirm, confirm the findings that it's really important to have clear guidance for GPs about how we manage um, 
people who do have uh, multiple long-term health conditions. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you have the numbers to hand Claire, about you know those because they're quite stark aren't they that those and the point's well made i think that it's potentially inappropriate and as you say there are always clinical subtleties and reasons that medications are prescribed with caution or the clinician will be fully aware but the numbers were quite large weren't they of potentially inappropriate prescribing in in these people with ckd yes absolutely so we split we split the different types of drugs into three different groups so essentially we looked at the entire BNF, as I say, we found all the drugs that had um, a renal impairment warning, and then we tried to identify how we could categorise the three different groups. I have to say, one of the most interesting findings from my perspective was just how heterogeneous the renal impairment warnings are in the BNF, because they use completely different terminology, often different um, different terms to reference CKD. So that in itself, I think, is quite a big challenge for a clinician and an important finding. So we split the drugs into three different groups. So uh, Contraindicated, the ones that should never, that shouldn't be used, and that was the, the kind of wording. Potentially high risk drugs, ones where um, the wording was avoid uh, if possible, and they tended to be opiates and non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, and dose inappropriate drugs. These are the ones where you required a change to the drug dosing, and we were able to track that according to the prescribing data we had. So for the um, the drugs where there was a, a, a an avoid warning. It was about four percent, on average, um, of all all prescribing um, fitted into that category, which in itself is quite considerable, considering that that's that's a, a sort of straight avoid. For the potentially high risk drugs, that was um, the highest prevalence. It was about a quarter of um, patients had some prescribing within that group. Again, so that's that's really quite significant. And for the dose, um, where there should have been some um, adjustment, but there hadn't been, that was about 15%. So yeah, really quite high high levels. Um, as I say, there are caveats to this because we don't have the specific clinical detail. However, I think it's still an important finding. It looks like there could be quite a lot. So if you're a clinician and you're going back to your prescribing, having listened to this podcast, you would got to, and having read this paper, you would have to wonder how many of those prescriptions, are you say, you know, one in four in some cases, that are actually potentially adverse, um, there's an adverse outcome with uh, associated with CKD. So mm-hmm. really quite marked. The numbers weren't little, were they? They were quite significant. And we were very conservative about it on many fronts because, um, so in the BNF, there's over 1,500 drugs. There's about 600, there are 670 in um, the BNF that I uh, used, which was from 2020. Um, But within that, we could only track about 250 of the drugs. So there's a whole, you know, there's hundreds that we weren't able to, to, to track at all. We weren't able to research these just simply because of the limitations of the data, but also because the warnings were um, very non-specific, like caution and um, change dose without any specific warning. But also um, we were very conservative in our definition of CKD. And I think that's one of the strengths of the paper because we wanted to use the um, KDIGO um definition for chronic kidney disease so that is kidney um kidney disease improving global outcomes definition so we were very careful to use um two egfr lab egfr values that were under 160 uh, sorry under 60 um and at least three months apart with no intervening normal levels so we the number of people with ckd in this cohort would have been smaller than the actual the actual number within the population. So these figures will be less than, than, than reality, I think. 
Yeah, so quite a strict, strict set of criteria you use there to make sure you definitely capture them. Claire, there's a tremendous amount here, you know, comorbidity and potentially inappropriate prescribing and CKD. I wonder if you could try and give us a few key messages just to try and summarise. Yeah, so I think the, the take-home messages, so if we're looking at the um, comorbidity issue, we're, we're basically saying that... Um, so 98.2% of the, of the people who have CKD also have at least one other uh, long-term condition. And we also found that people with, um, so people who had long, of, of the people who had seven or more long-term conditions, they had an odds ratio of nearly 42 times um, the likelihood of, of people who didn't have CKD. So we know that people with CKD are far more likely to be multimorbid. So my uh, take-home point from that is that the clinical guidelines that we are given in primary care that we create um, within primary care really need to um, need to take into account CKD in the very specific, uh, you know, prescribing guidelines that we need to, to be able to manage patients safely and help us to make these decisions that often can be really quite difficult and complex. The other the other learning points I think that we had from the prescribing um, guideline, but the prescribing research is um, that essentially we need to understand the benefit harm balance of prescribing and renal impairment because a lot of this prescribing, even though it kind of contravened what was in the BNF, might be absolutely fine, um, but some of it really might not be fine at all. And then we need more research to be able to identify what is very high risk and what isn't. Um, the two interesting things I think. Um, I think it'd be really helpful to have clear guidance on prescribing in CKD that used um, language that was homogenous so that we can um, use that um, more clearly in our clinical practice. And, and we and we as clinicians know what that means, because I think a lot of this is quite, quite difficult to interpret. Um, but the other thing, uh, and I can only speak about Scotland, but at the moment we don't have CKD warnings for electronic warnings for prescribing. I know there's issues with um, uh, with alert fatigue, but I genuinely think if we were prescribing, for example, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory um, and a warning came up, I think that would be a valuable warning um, that could potentially make quite a significant impact on patient safety. Claire, um, an awful lot there and incredibly useful. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research papers and articles can be found at bjgp.org. The show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. Do share if you've enjoyed it. Subscribe via all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Thanks again. Thanks again.